0: outside it. This is another example of that. Now, we're going to start a new series next week on creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Alan, he said today, is going to begin that, provided he is well, he will be doing that. If he still isn't well, it'll be me and I'll do another gospel conversation. It's all about flexibility, isn't it? So, so we will be here, and I will be here through next Sunday. and Then I'll be gone for the Thanksgiving holiday, seeing a son in and Tucson. So that's something. So I'll be here next week, and I'll, we'll be gone afterwards. So that gives you a little bit of what's coming up. So today uh, we're we'll talking about this conversation that Jesus has with the Roman centurion. So let me think. Of, let's think about it and enjoy the story and then we'll draw some some implications. Jesus was in his ministry in Capernaum. He began a public ministry. and He had a ministry of healing. And so people... He was attracting a lot of attention, let's say, because people were getting healed. And his ministry was primarily in Jewish territory, but... In that area, there were Jews and Gentiles, because you have to remember that the Jewish people were under the domination of the Romans at that time. You had Caesar, and then you had Governor Herod, and it was a really oppressive regime. They were not friendly, and so the Israelites had to live in subservience to the Romans who were enemies and of a different religion completely. So, that was this situation that is in the background. So, a situation comes where a Roman centurion comes to Jesus because he has a servant who is sick. Probably a young boy who's sick at home. The centurion has heard of Jesus. Jesus, would you heal him? And what Luke mentions is that the request came through the Jewish people. So let's think about this a minute. Is, what is a Roman centurion? Century is what number? One hundred. So a Roman centurion was a military commander who was in charge of how many soldiers? A hundred in the Roman battalion. Now, for the Jewish people... Would a Roman centurion be looked at as a friend or an enemy? They'd be looked at as an enemy, for the most part. Oh no, a centurion's coming, they're going to take bribes, or they're going to oppress us again and give us trouble. I mean, that was the kind of relationship there was. The centurions were there to keep order, because you had the zealots who wanted to burn Rome down, and you just had all of this... Political stuff going on, just like we do today in various parts of the world. So the centurion was there to keep order, and they weren't believers in the God of Israel. They would have worshipped their pagan gods. So there's a huge difference. But what did you notice about this person? The Jewish elders are the ones who come to Jesus and say, Would you heal this man's service? Because he's a Roman centurion, and he's a good public servant. He has helped us in a variety of ways, and in fact, Jesus, he deserves to have you help us because he loves our nation, and he built our synagogue. Now, that is what a good public servant would do. A centurion was typically a man of means. And instead of oppressing the Jews under him, he said, I'm going to help them flourish as best I can. I'm not a believer in what they believe, although we find out that he actually was. He was a Gentile God-hero. He says, I want to help their nation flourish. And at that time, there were synagogues throughout the country where the Jewish people worshipped. And here in Atlanta, there are Jewish synagogues where the Jews worship." Well, it goes way, way back. They have a Jewish synagogue, and so this Roman centurion builds a Jewish synagogue. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? He is a public servant committed to doing them good. It's very, very similar to what happens today, is that public servants aren't building churches. But right up the road, we have Alexander Park. Gwinnett County built that, and it's a wonderful public space for people to walk, to have picnics. You know what I like to do, though? They've done an amazing Frisbee golf course, and I haven't played for a while, so well, I need to get back out and do it again. But good public servants are going to do things that help the community flourish. This is extraordinary because this Roman centurion actually built a Jewish synagogue, which would be unusual. So the Jews come to Jesus and say, look, he's a good man. Build the synagogue for him, because he has done so much good for us. He deserves it. He's a good man. He deserves to have you feel his son. So Jesus said to them, said to his, so Jesus then sees a centurion, says to the centurion, shall I come and heal him? I've been asked by the Jewish elders, should I heal him? So he says to the centurion, should I come? Is this what you want me to do? And the centurion says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, did you hear that? They were saying, Jesus, he deserves it. He's a good man. What does he say? I don't deserve it. I'm in need of grace just like anyone else is. I don't need you to come into my house. and say the word. I've heard of your power. Just say the word. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Because he says, I know how a fire works centurion commands a hundred men, if he tells them to do something, go fight this battle, go clean up this retreat, whatever, they're going to do it. Because he says, I'm under authority. I report to Herod, probably. And people report to me. I tell them what to do and they do it. Jesus, you have this kind of authority. You don't need to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's an extraordinary insight, isn't it? Saying, I'm not worthy to have you come, but just say the word and I've been healed. And, and I get this because when I work in the corporate world, I supervise people, supervise people in churches, and you just ask them to do something and they do it. That's kind of how life works. And so, so this is just extraordinary insight on his part, meaning, I don't deserve any special treatment. I'm not worthy. Just say the word Jesus. Now, remember, the Holy Scriptures are one message, one story. It all points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to him, and the entire narrative points to Jesus' work. Of grace to those who don't deserve anything, and this story harks back to the story that I read from Second Kings five in the Old Testament. It's very fascinating. Let me summarize it for you. And it's in Second Kings five, if you want to follow along in your Bible or just on, on your device. Again, it's a situation where the Jewish people are being dominated by a country named Iran. That was a pagan country. And there was a man named Naaman, who was the commander of the army. So he's kind of like this Roman centurion. He was a commander of the army too. And he had sent bands of raiders across the river into Israel. And this is just ho- and this is just horrible when you think about it. They went to a family... And they took their little daughter as a slave girl. It's, it's, it's terrible. But this is what they did. And so the little girl, probably very young, maybe even a young teenager, maybe even less, she became basically a slave to man's wife. You've got the picture? So here's this young Israelite girl, taken from her family, and, and is now serving the wife of this very powerful, military leader named Naaman. Well, Naaman gets leprosy. That's bad. That makes him unclean. It's basically an incurable disease. And it's basically, you end up dying because you, you become a leper. You have to go into a leper colony. And eventually, it just basically eats your flesh away. It's just, it's just a horrible thing to have. And so here's this great, powerful, leader who gets leprosy. Well, this pagan leader hears that people across the river in Israel are being healed of various diseases. It was being done by the power, by Elisha the prophet, okay? But he doesn't know that. He just says, I'm... The king of Iran says, I want my valued servant, Naaman to be healed. I'm going to send him over to Israel and see if he can be healed. So if you're going to send a message to another country, who do you send it to? You send it to the the king, right? So he sends it to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel gets really upset (laughs) and says, I can't heal anybody. Is he picking a fight with me? He's asking something I can't do. I can't heal anybody. But then he realizes that it is. He's talking about the prophet Elisha. So Elisha hears about this and intervenes. And Elisha goes to man, crosses the river, the prophet. Goes to see him and says, Naaman, let me tell you what you need to do to be healed of leprosy. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean." So, Naaman, we got leprosy. I'm here to heal you Let to tell you what you got to do. Go to the River Jordan and Take seven days. Now, do any of you know what the River Jordan is like? It's muddy. It's not a place you want to go swimming. There are nice rivers to go swimming. is isn't. It's muddy, it's small, it's just not anywhere that you want to go. And so Naomi gets really, really angry when he says this. I thought he would, I thought your eyes would come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord is God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me. Uh, don't we have better rivers? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So this great military leader has, let's just say he sounds a bit entitled. I deserve royal treatment. I want the prophet himself to come and Wave his hand over me. Let's have a big ceremony for I'm getting healed. I, if he's going to make me go wash in a river, at least it ought to be a nice one. He's telling me to go wash in a mighty creek. And so his servants say to him, "Look, if Elijah told you to do some great thing, you do it. He's asking you to do a really simple thing." It's go to the Jordan River, wash and be clean. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? I know it might be a little bit humiliating, but just do it. And so, Naaman went to the Jordan River, washed himself seven times, and it says his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. You know what leprosy does to your skin? It just rucks it away. His life was restored to being like a, a young boy, just smooth. And you see, it's very, very similar. Is that here? This, this man was just entitled. I demand that something great be done. That I be healed. And this is why I wanted you to hear this, because you've got the Roman centurion in Jesus' day who did not demand any great show like Naaman did. He wants his servant to be healed. He doesn't need him to come personally and make a big ceremony out of healing him. He just says, say the word." don't want you to do anything grand, Jesus, because I recognize I'm not worthy. I'm not a good person. I am in need of grace, just like anyone else. And it's extraordinary. ...coming from a pagan who's a Gentile who obviously had come to believe in the God of Israel. And so when Jesus heard this from the centurion, he was thoroughly amazed. He said, I tell you, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and west and they'll take their places at the feast... ...with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven... But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And what you see here is just very typically this reversal of fortune is that Jesus, came for his own people, the Jews, and for the most part, they didn't accept him as the Messiah. They did not accept him. But here is a Gentile, a pagan, a Roman centurion, who somehow came to believe in the God of Israel, and Jesus said, oh, I haven't seen such faith as even in Israel. And the people who think they're worthy, the Jews, but who haven't believed will be set out of the kingdom, those who were entitled and thought they deserved it won't be. But this man, even though he's Roman, even though he's a pagan, because he's come to the God of Israel, has seen his own worthiness and need for my grace. It's really an extraordinary story. I haven't seen such faith as this, even in Israel. And just briefly, what can we take away from this? Just a couple of points that we'll think about. Is this is the story of the gospel. Is that God's promise of good news, of grace, has always been for all the nations. It has been for people of every tribe and tongue and people of nations of every stripe, of every socioeconomic level, it isn't just for one, but for all who believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Here you see this, this gentile outsider being drawn in. And you see a little bit later, remember, we we used the Gospel of Luke, but Luke also wrote the book of Acts, the continuing story of the expansion of the Gospel, and we read the story of this, other Gentile God here named Cornelius. He's Gentile, not one of the Jews. He would have been considered an outsider. And he was praying and seeking the Lord, seeking better understanding. And the Lord sends Peter to him. And basically, if you read all of Acts chapter 10, you see how Peter proclaims the good news of Jesus to him. And Cornelius was already something of a believer comes to believe, and Peter sees, and the Lord gives him a special dream to help him understand the gospel is for this Gentile. Well, as just as you. Because Peter would have resisted that. He's unclean. We can't be anywhere near him. But what you have is this gospel of grace that goes to people of all the nations, not just for one, and it expands from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we, who are here in America 2,000 years later, are recipients of the good news. The first came in the Old Testament, then it is used, and now for us. And this is so relevant, because it's always been this way. But we live in a very polarized world, don't we? Politically, racially, socially, socioeconomically, it's everything. You know what it's like. But listen to what the gospel does that no other religion can, no political ideology can. Paul says in Ephesians 2, speaking about Jews and Gentiles who once were enemies, listen to what he says, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's the gospel. Because, you see, what happened in the New Testament was, the main question they had to deal with is that the early apostles were primarily Jewish, and as the gospel spread forward, the big question they had to ask is, should the Gentiles be allowed into the church? And the answer is, yes, absolutely. That was always with God that the church would be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's what we celebrate, is that we have been drawn into the kingdom who once were far off, but have been brought near through the gospel of the fulfillment of God's promise. So that's the first thing to see, is that God's gospel promise has always been for the Jew and the Gentile, for all who believe in his name. But the second is this that you saw. We're in the kingdom not because we're worthy, but because we're unworthy. What do most religions say to you? You want to join, what do you have to do? Show that you're worthy. Be a good person, pay enough money, have the right lineage. And... The people around the centurion kept saying, He's worthy. He's a good man. He's built our synagogues. He's done public work. It might be like saying about the Today, This is a good person. He spent a lot of money and built a church. He's done something worthy of God. But the centurion says, I may have done that, but I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to have Jesus come into my house. And you see, that is the attitude of the gospel. And it's what I always say when people join the church what's the one qualification for joining Christ Presbyterian Church? It's knowing you're not qualified to join. It's not because we paid enough money, it's not because we're good, but we're not. And we simply confess that we are in need of the grace of Jesus, plus nothing. And that's why we have the privilege of being part of this house of prayer. We're not worthy. And it's like what Jesus said in Luke 18, just a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke. Because remember, the Pharisees were the ones who were saying, we're worthy of the kingdom, we're good people, we tithe, We do all this stuff. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you he's in the kingdom. You listen. This is Luke 18, 9-14 to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So you see them beating their test. We're good people. We're confident that we're righteous. Jesus told this parable He disabuse them of that idea. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, remember that day, the Pharisees were the good people. The tax collectors were chiefs and robbers and thieves, and they worked for the Romans. So, they were friends. They knew who was worthy, not the tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now, here's a prayer for it. You know, we do, we pray prayers out of Scripture. how would How would you like it if I put up on the screen this prayer for us to pray as part of public worship? You tell me if you think this would be a good prayer for us to pray together, okay? God, I thank you that I'm not like all other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and get a tenth of all I get. Would that be a good prayer for us to pray together? <laughs> not. See, let's, let's, just, let's just boast about how good we are. But they were so confident of their own righteousness. The tax collector, the one who was praying, wouldn't even look to heaven but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm not worthy of anything. Because I know I've sinned. I know that I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home, justified, declared righteous, forgiven. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's why we're a part of the church, why we're accepted by Jesus, is because we understood, what the pastor like to understood, what the Renaissance did We're not worth. We rely completely Completely on Jesus, his death, his resurrection, all that he is is out. And this is an important thing, and this is a this is a good conversation that you can have with people because it's something that we that, that we sometimes have. Like, for instance, one of the conversations that Katie and I have had with some friends was this. You know how some years are just bad years and everything seems to go wrong. If we had a year like that, maybe like the last two. No, but you know, this this particular year we've had some good things happen and it's just really, really cool. It was just exciting and it and we're just so thankful for her good health and for what and for providing a great job for our daughter Bonnie and just such just really neat things. And People look at me and they say, oh, you're a minister, you've you got a pipeline to God, you're a good person doing the work of God, so this is why that's happening to you. And I'm not kidding, that's kind of how they look at it. And Katie's at work, and she's a Christian and cheerful, and they say, oh, well, you had a good year, you're a good person. And our conversation is, that's not the root of it. We know we're not worthy. We haven't earned these gifts. We haven't earned the pleasure of God because I work in ministry and because he's a cheerful person working at the Shepherd center. That is the fruit of what we do. We know we're not worthy. We've been forgiven completely by Jesus. And it's out of that joy that we live, and, and if anything good happens to us, it's not because of our own worthiness. And you see, that's a gospel conversation that I have had several times with people who don't know Jesus. Yeah, I'm a minister, but that's not why the favor of God rests on me. It's Jesus alone. I'm not worthy. Because everyone tends to think, oh, you got to be a good person. It's like, no, you don't can't. You never will. It's understanding all the worthiness, all the grace comes from Jesus. And ultimately, when people hear that, that is good news. Because everyone out there is trying so hard, but doesn't everyone know we're just, we just can't quite begin? good This is why the gospel is good news. Jesus came for sinners for the unworthy. We've been welcomed Jesus, who died, rose again, who accomplished everything for us that we couldn't do. So we're outsiders, drawing in. Let's extend that welcome to those who need to hear it. Amen? Please join with me in our praise of the people.